We'll be reading today from 1 Peter chapter 5. <coughs> to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the grace, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Good morning. It's great to see a full house here today. I trust you've been encouraged through our service this morning. I certainly uh, found it very encouraging hearing those testimonies. Uh, it's time now, as we've said, to uh, dig into God's Word uh, from 1 Peter. We're looking at our last sermon today uh, that we're finishing our series on the book there. Um, as I do that, I'd just like to pray. I had a last-minute prayer request uh, from Herda and Albert. They've got a family member, Doreen, and her family moving over here. We've had some moving away. Now we have some moving home uh, back here. And, yeah, they just requested that I pray for them as they make that move. So let me pray for us now. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, uh, we thank you that we can... Uh, yeah, experience in you your grace, and I pray, Father, that as we open up these words here from 1 Peter, that you would speak to us, that you would shape us, that you would guide us through your Holy Spirit, convict us and draw us close to you. Father, I also want to pray and take the opportunity to pray for Doreen 
and her family as they make the big move over here to WA. Um, yeah, Lord, it's a reminder in these times as we move that uh, ultimately our home is, is not here on earth, uh, but you have prepared our home for us. Uh, Jesus has, as we know in John 14 that you've declared there. So I pray, Lord, that they would know your comfort and grace, and I pray for the family that they would support one another as they, yeah, get around those who are moving from interstate. Uh, Father, be with us now, we pray. Amen. So throughout our series on 1 Peter, we have seen a lot of amazing things. We've seen how God has called Christians to holy living, all because we ourselves are called by God, being God's chosen exiles who have a new identity in Jesus, a new identity that brings along with with it suffering, suffering because the world rejects us, all because the world first rejected Jesus. Last week, we saw another example of that suffering. We saw how Peter called us to rejoice in our suffering. Suffering for the gospel, whether it is big or small. Today, in these final words here of the letter this morning, Peter focuses on the internal church community. You know, we've got all these external pressures from the world, this suffering from without, So the question is, how do we as a church community respond to this from within? What should characterize us as God's people? Well, in verse 5, Peter helps us understand what our response should be. What our characteristic, what should characterize us? What attitude should we have that should dominate how we do life and treat each other? There in verse 5... Peter says that we ought to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. When it comes to humility, I think as we think about that, uh, in light of our culture, I'd actually say that our culture has a pretty interesting and mixed relationship with this idea of humility. Uh, On one hand, our culture tempts us to actually, in an overt way, puff ourselves up. And have self-exaltation. Whether it's through uh, perhaps position, status, money or social standing, these are all ways in which we can easily become prideful in what we achieve or how we are seen by others. Great achievement in our world can make a person conceited and think of ourselves better than others. (laughs) And yet on the other hand, at the very same time, It's also true that our culture recognises this and actively repels it. Uh, Here, Aussies in Australia, we're known for the tall poppy syndrome. You may have heard of that. uh, Where those who are perceived as exalting themselves over others, uh, they're actively brought back down to earth. I think you know what I'm talking about. Now, if we just think about that for a moment, the good side to it is that, at least traditionally, in our Australian culture we do recognise that all people are equal, that we shouldn't consider ourselves better than others. And that point alone, the Bible agrees. You open up the first page of the Bible and it says in Genesis that we are all made in God's image. But the bad side to this tall poppy syndrome is that it often results in us severely ridiculing and attacking those 
who are perceived as being prideful. And if we're honest with ourselves, this is often motivated out of insecurities we might have or covetedness that we have of basically not wanting what other people have. Such an attitude might appear humble on the surface, but I think that's questionable at the very least. The humility that Peter calls us to is different. On the one hand, the gospel challenges us not to be conceited in our achievements. Because we know that everything we have comes from God. On the other hand, the gospel allows us not to be threatened by the achievements of others. Because our identity doesn't lie in what we have or what we've achieved, our possessions or our social standing. What Peter has taught us time and time again is that we have a new identity in Jesus. We're chosen exiles. And as chosen exiles, the gospel consistently calls us to a life of genuine humility and suffering now in this life, knowing that glory is coming later. So this morning, as we look at these words from 1 Peter, and we consider this, we consider this humble and lowly theme of humility... There are really two things that I'd love to explore with you this morning for our passage. The first is this community of humility that Peter calls us to. This community of humility. As we explore that this morning, what we're going to see is some of the practical implications of what this humility looks like in the church community. Peter here, he addresses three groups of people in our passage, beginning with church elders in verses 1 to 4. And what Peter highlights there for elders is both the function and motivation for living out and taking up their role. What we see there is the primary function of elders being described as shepherding, shepherding the flock, exercising oversight and being examples for others for the Christian faith. Uh, we read earlier from a psalm there that spoke of this shepherding role. That's an example of how rich and uh, frequent this metaphor is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, throughout all of Scripture. It's something that is uh, drawn upon time and time again. And really, the task of shepherding itself, it concerns itself with the spiritual care an oversight of the church. Seeing to it that the church is built up in, the faith, in their faith in Jesus and his gospel. Elders then are to be, to be able to teach the truth, both in what they say and how they live. Furthermore, elders here, according to Peter, are to carry out this role, not for selfish and personal gain. Rather, they ought to be motivated through selfless love and sacrificial giving. Actually willing to suffer, as verse 10 highlights, as they live out the gospel. What's really fascinating, I think, here about Peter's comments is how he addresses the elders. He addresses them as a fellow elder. 
as witnesses of Christ's suffering and partakers of the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, why is that fascinating? Well, because he could have easily emphasized the great difference between him and elders, given that he was an apostle, being one of the twelve that walked with Jesus. But he didn't. He chose instead to identify himself with these elders. Let's not miss the significance of this here. Peter, in essence, what he's doing is showing us that the mantle of leadership is being passed on to church elders. The baton in the relay race is now in the hands of the elders to run the next leg of the race. As we consider that this morning, the charge then to current elders of this church, James, Ron, Rob, David, Jono, Simon, Dan, it's almost as if we've got the original 12, how many we've got here, Uh, and also about to be elected elders, uh, James number two, Richo and myself, our charge is to hearken Peter's words here. Proclaim Christ, model Christ with humility, and yes, be willing to suffer for the flock, for Jesus' sake. Servant leadership is not something that was dreamt up one day accidentally by a culture. No, it's something that comes directly from Jesus. By doing so, we'll be faithful under-shepherds who sit under the chief shepherd, Jesus who promises to reward all who faithfully follow him. In verse 5, Peter then goes on to address his second audience, those who are younger. Uh, It's a little bit hard to know exactly who is encapsulated in that word there, but it most likely simply just means those physically younger, perhaps those under the age of 30 by Jewish standards. Peter likely addresses uh, the younger specifically because they often struggle with rebellion uh, to authority over them. Is Peter right? Who knows a young person who has, upon occasion, struggled with submitting to authority? Who was once a young person who didn't like authority? Peter simply calls the younger to submit to the elders, knowing that it is good for them spiritually to learn the Christian faith from those charged with their care. So Christo, Ashton, other young folk here today at Willow, God desires you to come under the wing of your elders, to learn Christ from them, to observe how we live, in order that you may grow strong in your faith. Are you willing this day to follow our lead for your spiritual good? Lastly, in the rest of verse 5, Peter then goes on to address our third audience, everyone, calling all to be clothed with humility. In this way, the responsibility to live Christ-like with humility does not land solely on elders or the younger, but it is a collective responsibility that we have to one another. To model and speak Christ to each other, to submit to God-ordained authority over us. And when we are in positions of oversight, to exercise godly authority with all humility. 
as our culture uh, continues to dial up the heat for Christians, it will be important that humility wins the day. As we learn to support, listen, and build each other up in the faith. Do you see this attitude as being a big part of how you live out your faith within this community or whatever community you are involved in? So that's the first thing that we learned from Peter this morning, this community of humility that he calls us to. Uh, Secondly, what I'd like to explore from our passage is the urgency behind this humility. The urgency of this humility. Why is it? Why is it that we need to prioritize this? Why is it so important that we live humble lives? Well, the answer that Peter gives us is that the stakes could not be higher. In verse 5, he continues, he quotes from Proverbs 3.34, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He goes on in verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves therefore under, the, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be alert uh, and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. What Peter does here is he gets to the heart as to why humility is so important. Because the opposite, having pride, is so disastrous. Human pride is lethal. When Adam and Eve, all those years ago, reached out and took that forbidden fruit, sin, pride, entered the human heart and wreaked havoc. In our pride, humility, what we really were doing in our hearts where we were usurping God from his throne, his kingship over our lives. We declared ourselves king instead, casting the whole world into sin, death, and ultimately one day, destruction. And arguably, we are so good at hiding this pride. A common belief in our culture today is simply trying to be a good person is enough. It will get us across the line into heaven. Or if you don't believe in heaven, at least it will just make you a good enough person in the eyes of others. But such a belief is deeply flawed. At its heart, it's self-exaltation. It's when someone says in their heart, I have what it takes. I'm good enough for myself. I don't really need a saviour. Peter warns that we should run from such pride. We should flee from it, like perhaps fleeing from the stampede of bulls in a Spanish bull run. We need to run. This is because God himself is opposed to the proud. The God in heaven above, the King of glory, the King of kings, is against all human pride. 
Sin then is no lightweight matter before God. It's not something that God casually puts to one side and as if it doesn't make any difference. Rather, sin puts us at odd, uh, at odds with our Creator, cutting us off from His goodness. It stains us, it pollutes us, it's repulsive before a holy God. So I ask you this morning, how serious is sin to you? Are you casual about it? Or does it cause you to run to God and see your need for His grace? Uh, If you are here this morning and have not yet uh, accepted Jesus as your Lord, this is an opportunity for you to do so, to consider Christ and what he means. To renounce your sin and see your need for God's grace. For every Christian here, this is a reminder for you to continue fighting residual pride in your hearts, to continue growing in God's amazing grace. You see, not only is God opposed to the proud, but ongoing and persistent pride leaves you susceptible to the attacks of the devil. The devil can leverage and take advantage of pride in your heart. If you are yet to accept Jesus, this means that for you, this oppressive leverage is complete and total. Scripture elsewhere describes you as being dead in your trespasses and sins. If you are outside of Christ, you might live life having the appearance that all is well and that you are full of life. But Scripture says that you are in fact spiritually dead, cut off from God, enslaved to your sin and devoid of true life. Now, that might all seem a bit blunt and offensive to describe you like that. But Peter and the rest of Scripture consistently calls a spade a spade. It consistently calls sin for what it really is and what it really does to us, how dire its consequences are. So the call of the gospel is to run to Christ. You don't need to be left in your sin. Run from your pride and your self-sufficiency. Run to the one who can truly set you free from your truly lowly state, the state of being in sin. You see, the great paradox of the Christian faith is that when you humble yourself and acknowledge your sin, that's when God exalts you and grants you his life. You don't need to stay there. God offers a way to him through his Son. For every Christian, as I said before, Peter warns us not to fall back into pride, to continue fighting residual pride in your life, to prevent its disastrous consequences. So I ask for you this morning, how's your heart going in this fight? Is there pride and a tendency from self-exhortation that you've picked up on, that you need to confess this morning? You see, that's how we achieve Peter's call here to resist the devil. It's having that spiritual understanding that it's not up to you and your own strength to oppose and defeat the devil. To somehow overcome pride by yourself. 
Rather, it's putting your faith in the chief shepherd who has defeated the evil one. In Colossians 2, there Paul has these amazing verses there where he declares that on the cross, Jesus disarmed all evil spiritual powers and triumphed over them. He did this by cancelling the debt of our sin that God held against us, paying the price through his death on the cross and declaring us righteous and pure in his sight when we believe in him. And as we look through the uh, 1 Peter and this call to suffer, until Christ's victory and the glory that is secured on the cross is made complete when Jesus returns, for the time being, Christians in this life, we're called to suffer and show humility. Suffer now and glory later. In verse 10, Peter says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So that's the two key things that we see from our passage this morning. This community of humility that Peter calls us to, that God calls us to. And the urgent need for us to run from pride and its disastrous consequences. I just want to close uh, looking at some uh, verse 12. There Peter, he actually provides a, a grand purpose for why he's written the letter. He says, I've written to you, briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. As our series on 1 Peter comes to a close, it's true that we've seen some extraordinary truths about the Christian faith. Some challenging truths, some encouraging truths. We've seen the amazing hope that we have in Jesus. How he calls us, called us to an eternal hope. An eternity spent with Jesus. We've seen how we're called to live holy lives as we reflect the holy God that we worship. We've seen that we live as chosen exiles now in a world that is hostile to Christ and his followers. And how putting holiness, by putting holiness into action, we are called to rejoice in our sufferings for Jesus, standing firm in the gospel. So for each of us here this morning, the question that remains then is this. Do you believe this gospel? And will you stand firm in it? Come what may. Do you believe that Jesus suffered willingly for you? That he died, rose again, in order to give you life? Do you submit to his rule over your life, knowing that he has an eternal and glorious life ready and waiting for you, a life beyond this life. My prayer for you this morning is that you do. Fellow Christian, stand firm. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider uh, this call to humility this morning, we confess that it's so easy to be puffed up in pride. 
Father, it can be the biggest or smallest thing, but we are often tempted to see ourselves bigger than what we should. And particularly for our, for our elders, we, we know the challenge that we have to, to live out the gospel and the weight that you've given us to lead the flock and show humility. I pray for us that you would help us do this. Give us courage. Give us strength. And may we be faithful under shepherds for you. Father, I pray for all of us, for the younger, for all of the church. I pray that you would work amongst us, that we would be a community uh, that shines with humility and that the onlookers looking in will see that there's something different here, that your gospel is at work. And Father, I pray as we do that, that we would know the riches of your grace and glory, Lord, that we would have a renewed sense of your grace and love to us this morning. Uh, Yeah, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.